Hey everyone, it's Joanna from JCV Art Studio. This is season four. I'm the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and it's been a crazy couple of days. I somehow managed yesterday when I stepped inside the house, my toe kind of got caught underneath the mat and I stepped forward with all my weight. I heard a crunch and then I thought I got that funny feeling in your stomach when you're in pain. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, don't pee your pants. <laughs> it just, oh, so my toe was now literally the color of a purple grape. And I sent my daughter, she's a nurse, photos of it. And it's funny when you, you the, the nurse coming out in her, because she asked me a bunch of questions. And then she said to me, you know, we'll see what it's like in a couple of days. And um, she goes, at least it's straight. <laughs> you know? So I guess that's, that's something I can be happy about. It's not crooked. I guess she's seen crooked. Anyways, I know, kind of a ugh, story for me to share with everyone today, but we have have a very cool author who has written a character named Baby, and I think Baby could could relate to my story, just thinking of this character. So, so on to our author. Our author, it's Meredith Hambrook. She's with me today. Now, Meredith is a Canadian fiction and television writer who grew up in Toronto and now lives in Vancouver. Her short fiction has appeared in several magazines, including Maison Neuve and Descent. I'm, I'm really trying to drum up my grade 12 French here. I hope I did okay with that. <laughs> um, she's been a finalist for the CBC Short Story Prize and most recently wrote for the sitcom Corner Gas Animated. Today, we're going to talk about her debut novel, Other People's Secrets. Meredith, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I will agree that I think Baby would have loved your um, story, but I hope you're okay. <laughs> but also, just something a little gross, you know, it's just, it's so in, in, in tune with the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I took the dogs for a walk this morning, and I was hobbling a bit in the morning but by the time I came to the near end of our walk it was like okay my foot's starting to feel my toes starting to feel a little better oh good <laughs> I'm not going to be modeling any shoes anytime soon <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh, so oh, man. I can tell with your your spirit your humor like you have a distinct writing voice and it that is really cool and I'm curious, have you been writing all your life? Because you have a distinct writing voice. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I haven't been writing all of my life. I definitely, I have been writing since I was a teenager and definitely was really drawn to like voice-driven work. Um, when I was a teenager, especially, I think I, I was just so lucky. I think there were so many um, really funny female authors that got published when I was um, that age. And I just like read voraciously. Um, and then, yeah, definitely started writing as a teenager. I used to write like a serialized sort of Sweet Valley High ripoff novel for a kid I babysat. 
And she would like give me notes and stuff. I would, I would take the notebook to her and she'd go read and then come back and be like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was like a fun little um, exchange there. And then, yeah, I just kind of became a bit obsessed as we do. I'm sure you can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she was quite the reviewer. How old yeah. was she? She was just a, she was. I was mostly there to babysit her brothers because yeah. they were a handful. There was three boys and oh God. they didn't listen to her. So she was only two years younger than me. So she yeah. was pretty savvy and she's yeah. quite smart. Like she's a doctor now. So oh, um, I was very intimidated when she was, I found out she was reading my novels. Like, just the <laughs> kind of coming full circle. I think a bit with that was really, really cool. But she wrote me a nice Goodreads, Goodreads review. So oh, that's, that's all we can ask for. Yeah, that's excellent. Now for me, I remember I used to read Diane Mott Davidson and her mysteries were with that her character was a chef. And that was the first mystery I picked up where um, I was laughing out loud. And isn't that something when you're reading something and it makes you laugh out loud? Like yours oh, did. Yeah. Your oh, good did. <laughs> Thank right? you. It just yeah. makes like the whole, oh God, the whole scene with, the ashes and paying for a coffin. I mean, <laughs> okay. oh god! It's a distinct sense of humor. I think some people don't always like comedy about death, but I wanted to be clear about what the book was like. I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, good. So, what was the? I know authors get asked, "What was your inspiration for this novel?" So, I'm just wondering more as to what was the what if? Like, what was it? Was it a photo? Was it a person you knew was it a scenario was it an incident that made you think hey I got an idea yeah I think oh gosh I'm so bad at answering this question because it was so many things but I think the 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 first thing was that I was turning 30 and feeling a bit like I needed to grow up a bit but not really knowing how um and I kind of, I, I was out of this weekend away with some friends in Penticton, DC. It's like a, res, you know, it's like a kind yeah. of a sleepy retirement slash resort town um, in the Penticton. Okanagan. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, and we went to this bar there called the Barking Parrot and it's definitely nowhere near as like grody and disgusting as the bar in my book, but I just kind of picked up on a bit of a vibe there. And it's a vibe that I've kind of picked up on in other sort of um, vacation towns in Ontario that are like cottagey where people kind of come in for the summer. Um, and then I also just had this idea about this woman who was found in a dumpster as a child, but she at least pretends to refuse, like she refuses to be ashamed by it. She forces it on everybody. Um, and as the, you know, as you read the story of baby, you sort of learn more about how she feels about it internally and how it's influenced her life and her vision of herself. But I like the idea of carrying around your past on the outside and at least yeah. pretending that it doesn't hurt you. Cause I think we've read a lot of books about sort of like trauma and how people kind of keep things locked down. And I don't know if that's always true. I'm somebody who like loves jokes and likes making a joke of things that maybe at one time were really painful. So yeah. Um, kind of putting that onto a woman and making her kind of messy and funny and fun and complicated was really, I think, what I wanted to do with the book anyway. So you kind of, it sounds like you started with character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think cool. so. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So come on, let's, let's hear, let's hear what other people's secrets is about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Other People's Secrets, it's about uh, a dumpster baby and her gang of pals who are the employees at a rundown summertime resort, um, who, when the resort is purchased by wealthy new owners, decide they're going to try and find a sunken treasure in hopes of buying the resort back. Uh, But this puts them on the wrong side of their small town drug kingpin. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot going on. (laughs) But yeah, certainly fun things, but also I think hopefully heartfelt things as well. Well, we'll we'll talk about about (laughs) small towns in a bit. Yeah. (laughs) And I tell you, it's so, so possible. Okay. <laughs> right. Don't think, oh, good. Of, I'm glad. Not think yeah. those small towns are innocent. Yeah. Okay. So um, two questions I have. You have vivid and real characters. And you kind of hinted at this when you were talking. And I saw an article you wrote where you said you like messy heroines. And actually, that's the first time I've heard messy heroines and it's perfect okay now your heroine baby she's referred to as a dumpster baby so you you've mentioned a bit how she came about but i'm wondering how did she come about and this is definitely a character driven novel yeah yeah oh definitely yeah definitely yeah sorry i was nodding and then yeah. <laughs> Use use my uh, my speaking voice. Um, Yes, yeah. So I think part of it, yeah, absolutely care driven, a character driven novel. Um, And like like I said before, I really love this notion of a woman who is trying to sort of own a traumatic past um, and making a joke out of it, um, and sort of trying, at least attempting to refuse to be ashamed of it. Um, That definitely, I think was really important to me. I think also with like messy women and messy characters, I coming up in comedy as well, it's like a very male dominated um, industry. A lot of characters are created by men and something that I had kind of picked up on just watching TV and in my career and just sort of where things, you know, were culturally um, in the like mid to late 2010s was just that I I didn't really feel like I was seeing women reflected on the screen that were funny in the way that like I love and the way that like my friends and family are funny Um, and sort of being audacious and being what I like having what I like to call kind of like scamp energy (laughs) where it's you're not afraid to sort of break the rules a little bit um you like to kind of mess around and be bold and stuff like that and um just kind of like have like I have a sort of goofiness about me that I can't quite shake and I just I don't know there's just something about female characters that also aren't um like it's not family driven they're not in any kind of domestic you know like situation I know thrillers and mysteries and stuff like that there's oftentimes a lot of female characters that are in those sort of areas of life like wives and mothers and stuff like that and there's nothing you know yeah. inherently wrong with that it just wasn't where my life was at at the time it wasn't what I was super interested in so I really wanted to have a group of women in their 20s who are just this tight-knit group of friends um, and to really make that feel real for me yeah. um, and f- feel real for the readers because I have a lot of really great friends I have two sisters I have a ton of funny f- female cousins um, that I love and yeah, so I think pulling some truths from real life also, like just this, I, I feel like the one thing I have not said in any other interview is that I think the one thing about 
your 20s when you're a young woman is you always have friends who are dating a guy who sucks (laughs) and you're so desperate for them to break up with this guy and they just can't shake him. And so there is a core relationship in the book where at least where it starts off between baby and this rich um, guy who comes up every summer named Peter Pomeroy. And I really wanted that to feel like visceral and real because I have had so many friends in that situation where you're just like, dump him yeah move on (laughs) um yeah so that's kind of I think some experiences that I drew from my life to make this feel the characters feel really real and grounded well Peter Pomeroy that was a perfect name perfect and he's a he's going to become a lawyer too and it's just like yeah Yeah. just like on a such a different path than baby which um I found dramatically yeah really interesting but you could see why she's interested in him yeah because of of who he represents mm-hmm. right Definitely. you know of you know he's i don't want to say he's establishment but he's he's established right totally yeah yeah i think also yeah just represents a life that she never knew like yeah. you know stability and um love maybe from family or just like stuff you know he seems mysterious to her as well which i think because of that which is interesting yeah. Well, as you were talking, if you see me look down, I'm scribbling little notes here. Um, when you were mentioning about women in comedy, the comedian, female, who I enjoy watching, I think her name is Eliza. Oh, she, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. I enjoy her <laughs> comedy and yeah. uh, nothing's, everything's on the table. Like, oh, yeah, she, right? definitely. Yeah. And it like, and it's also issues which a female can relate to. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So now how was writing Corner Gas? I mean, Corner Gas animated, like that must have influenced, must have, I'm thinking that must have influenced your writing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many like moving parts in TV. I think the, it was just so nice financially to have like uh, we would work these things called writing summits so we would meet up for you know three or four weeks and do we would break episodes so that means we'd create kind of like episode outlines for people to go off and write we would rewrite scripts uh we'd hang out with comedians and do punch-ups and stuff like that which was so much fun but also just having kind of this like steady job that I would come back to once in a while was really great just because, you know, it gave me time to work on my own stuff if I wasn't writing a script for them, which was really cool. But also, I think I started my TV writing career as an assistant on kids comedy shows. Okay. And that uh, when you're dealing with kids, the comedic style and storytelling <laughs> is really overt because they're so demanding, right? Like you can't, okay. you have to keep them watching. <laughs> um, and so sometimes things could be a bit bigger or more broad because you have to keep them hooked. Yeah. And that made the job so much fun. Um, and I learned so much from those um, shows that I worked on. I love, it made me really fall in love, especially with like strange story turns, because you can be really bold, I think, in your plotting and stuff like that. Um, But when I started working on Corner Gas, our conversations were so much more about like grounding story and emotion and how you ground comedy to make it feel real and um, true, because that I think was how they serve their audience so well. And they have such a rabid fan base of people who love that show because it's so funny and so 
um, it just feels like real life, like yeah. you're watching it, but still absurd, which yeah. is like such a hard line to draw. But that was really new for me. Um, is how do you make something funny but also make it feel real? Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, just that lesson I think just changed the course of my life. Honestly, like just really changed me as a writer. Um, but now even and this kind of stuff might have been going on in when I was working in kids when we were building story. Like I could have just maybe wasn't picking up on it. <laughs> um, but now I'm a writing instructor. I teach screenwriting at a couple different film schools, and. I've kind of gone back and I analyze scripts for my students. And even if you watch like the goofiest episode of The Simpsons, mm -hmm. you can see how grounded it is in emotion, even if it goes away from that really quickly. So like there's episodes where like it's you, the story goes into like an insane direction, but it always starts with this sort of like human thing. It starts with like Bart and Lisa having a sibling fight because Lisa's a know-it-all and Bart's a, you know, dope or yeah. Homer forgetting his anniversary. So <laughs> there's just like always something like human to cling to. <laughs> and that just thinking about that, I think in the context of writing crime um, or writing thrillers or just writing anything kind of character driven, I think is so interesting. Um, but yeah, definitely life-changing experience on corner gas those guys are fantastic and they're just lovely also they're just great people <laughs> well i'm scribbling notes down here i really am <laughs> you know like you you mentioned human mm -hmm. yeah right like yeah. you know my critique partner and i talked to talk about this a lot where sometimes as a writer you know you're learning 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 you know character driven you know, making making it real, but sometimes it's, for example, like you, just saying one thing, like making making it human, and you're referring to the Simpsons, that it just like a light bulb, like yeah, make this person human, right? Yeah, like it just oh, okay. I know the, the simplest <laughs> advice is always the most frustrating. I I like I just saw this little graph yesterday about about just a story structure, and it was broken down in such a simple way that I was like, oh my god, how had I never thought about it that way? But um, I think because we get so like, especially if we're writing like genres like thriller or horror or crime or mystery, you get really caught up in the plot because you want yeah. the plot to be like sexy and fun and cool and and solid, um, and right? solid. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I think sometimes you just also need to remember the like human kind of moving parts. But like people also read for, you know, hundreds and millions of different, of re different reasons and stuff like that. So yeah. some people just like, I think, a crazy escalation. But for me, I think it's always important to have that like gut, you know, connection, that like heart connection with character. Cool. Cool. I'm going to be asking you about where you later and if it's possible if we can include the links you were saying you instruct at film schools yeah so i teach at vancouver film school um i teach a writing for animation course and then i teach a um i kind of just rotate through their different workshop courses so um i do like tv pilot courses and stuff like that mostly just workshops um, and then I teach at In Focus Film School right now. I'm just teaching a TV pilot course. Um, yes. But yeah, teaching I love. I just, because I think I've always loved hanging out with writers and I'm just the biggest nerd for any kind of structure or, yeah, right? I see you nodding. Yeah. Um, it's so rewarding to me to just think about this stuff all the time. So um, yeah, I'm hoping to kind of keep that going because I love it. Well, I was, I uh, 
through SFU. Mm -hmm. I'm taking, I'm involved, I'm enrolled in the writer's studio, but I'm also taking, I took my first course to work towards my editing certificate. Oh, wicked. And uh, I love the editing. I loved the oh, editing. It's okay. such a skill. Oh, my oh. goodness. And I remember one of our final assignment, we had to um, do a structural edit on a, we had 100 pages of a manuscript. And I printed it out. And my husband looked at it. And he looked at me and he says, you have to read all that and edit it. And I went, mm-hmm. And he's just, he just like, he says, English was not my thing, you know, and he walks away, but he's more of a, yeah, he, he's more, he's in the retail. um, And, oh God, I'm getting off on such a tangent here. No, it's okay. Okay. So the reason why lettuce is so blooming expensive right now. Okay. I would love to know this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's because in California, where we get our lettuce, uh, that lake that there's the lake down there that dried up um, drought and then after drought there was like insects infestation and that's why our lettuce is so oh. blooming expensive mm-hmm. okay yeah. so like and I know this just because he's a produce director so mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is English may not be his thing but he'll come and just like vent and say yeah our shrink is this our wrap is this you know our margins and I'm just like have at her like I'm just like uh-huh <laughs> you know, yeah. right? but you know what we really need the the, yeah. the lettuce guy because I love salad so yeah. <laughs> tell him thank you for it supposedly there may be there may be a break oh, okay. it's, it has to do with seasons this yeah is of what course I'm learning as yeah. well yeah. and so then going to different suppliers mm-hmm. okay I haven't spilled any retail secrets or anything like that but that's that's okay I won't tell anyone but <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the wink though <laughs> so okay now story structure mm-hmm. would you say that the story structure for other people's secrets follows the heroine's journey or if not is there you had mentioned you were you saw a you saw something simple about story structure. Is there some other story structure you're thinking of that you had in mind or? Yeah, I don't know anything about the hero's journey and I don't know why that one always escaped me. I, I, I think I like the, um, almost like the very, when I think about structure, I like to think about it like very stripped down, like, okay. um, almost like it's a math equation. Um, but this, there's this sort of screenwriting um, term that's populated called this, it's called the five beat breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a way to think about story that's just, it, it's a, there's five kind of major turns. So, and I think, oh, I hope I get this right. Um, it's inciting incident, first act turn, midpoint, second act turn, and climax. And those are your sort of big five beats. And what I've read is that if you write, your story down. So like, it's almost like a, something you're telling someone in a bar yeah. and you kind of just like focus on those five beats and then you read that out loud or just call your friend who hates reading or something like that and be like, do you think this is a good story? You can kind of tell if you think it'll be satisfying or not. So thinking about that in the context of character is sort of how I um, approach this novel initially. Um, but I definitely did it badly the first time. Like this is a book I wrote like nine or 10, 11, 12, 
drafts of them <laughs> because I de- didn't have the ending um, when I first started. But I think some people, when they're thinking about structure or outlining or um, they're worried that their story is going to seem formulaic. But I think that this is sort of something that happens in screenwriting is you have to turn in um, just to get paid. You usually have to send like a 250 word episode pitch. And then that becomes an outline that you get paid for. And then you write a first draft and then you write a second draft. And that is all kind of baked into like a contract. Um, And the idea is that with each, you're developing the idea. So it changes. You're not just like executing on your first notion. Um, And so really kind of approaching outlining with revision in mind, um, I think is a helpful way to think about story. So it's not just like, I feel like we talk about plotting and pantsing in the world of um, novel writing, as in like, oh, I plot and I just deliver what my outline says and I just have to do that and then I go home. But I think if, for me, it's like approaching it like a, it's like a flower growing sort of, you're sort of changing as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then eventually just quitting and saying, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> but <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. That's just wow. kind of how I like to think about um, planting. Is that what somebody, <laughs> I feel like I saw this floating on, maybe I read this in your Sam Weave interview or something like that. I think like it was, that. was pl- that? a plot sir. Oh, plot sir. <laughs> it's such a funny the, word. Thought, no way. Uh, it's a little clunky, but it's funny. I am not yeah. claiming fame to that I'm a plot sir. <laughs> <laughs> I will do the five beat breakdown. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking that up. Yeah. <laughs> For okay. sure. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, yeah, um, like before we came, started recording, I'd mentioned it about taking the the puppy to the vet mm-hmm. I am going to be somewhere where I won't have internet access so I am going to find find what I can before I go about the five beat breakdown and just mm-hmm. I'm taking like the really rough I call it honeymoon porridge draft of book four with me and I'm going to see what I can find find about the five beat Beat Ooh, yeah honeymoon draft I, yeah. Oh, I I have a I have a term for you but I think it's I was looking at the questions and it, I'm going to save it for later but I'd like okay. honeymoon draft because that's very romantic oh it, it well it's just like everything's wonderful I'm just mm. typing away it's full of porridge but yeah. it's <laughs> yeah but okay so oh I, I think I need to embrace that that's a much more positive way to talk about it <laughs> so small towns in other people's secrets it takes place in a small town and uh i know when, before we talk about oakwood hills i am continually amazed continually amazed at the history i'm learning about the small town i'm in shimanus and the people and for example uh last saturday i was out outside Took mittens, everything, doing the market, sold six books. Like, damn, I was pretty, I was happy, right? But the crazy thing is, there is so much story material, right? Mm. Because, you know, Ed came and joined me, kept me company. Another guy came up, started talking to me. He's lived in Shemanas all his life. Ed's a Shemaniac, right? <laughs> and then they start talking about some other guy. Oh, yeah. And do you remember when he did the burnout? 
outside the high school and he drove his car right through the fence, you know, and they're just like, yeah, you know, like, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, this is story material, you know, like just because they were small and everybody knew everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So Oakwood Hills, is that based on any place you've lived or a combination of places? Or maybe did you take the 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 parrot bar in Penticton and areas of Ontario and mesh them together? <laughs> yeah, so that was the most intimidating thing for me because I'm such a city gal. Like I grew up in Toronto and um, you know, like riding the subway when I was a teen and thinking yeah. I was just the coolest, like that kind of thing. And um, I was so intimidated when this book was getting published that because I a bunch of people from small towns, um, I you know, whose opinions matter so much to me. I knew we were reading it and I was like, Oh, am I gonna get some text messages getting roasted because I've messed something up? Um, but I think there's just uh it it's so sorry so for your short answer um no, no, no. <laughs> it is um it is inspired by uh definitely i spent some time kind of in muskoka yeah um which is this very bougie sort of part of ontario a bit and like north of muskoka also like kind of further past all the bougie stuff as well um and visit a bunch of small towns and stuff and i i you know did it as a kid and then kind of revisit like i went back like many i think it was like i want to say 20 years later and was just sort of shocked a bit at how much they've these small towns had changed um yeah. especially in Ontario and how much like how wealthy they'd become and I mean I think there was always like a very upper middle class kind of you know wealthy air to them but um the it was like shocking to me just how huge these mansions some of these mansions are and how big how these vacation towns had changed a lot. And it just got me sort of thinking about um, what it was like for the people who grew up there. Um, because obviously that would not, if you have all these huge houses with nobody living in them, that's going to have a pretty big impact, I think, um, from a socioeconomic perspective, I think, as well as, you know, emotionally and stuff like that. Um, so that's definitely got me thinking about it. And then I think as a writer, you're just always dramatically really um, looking for ways to have people stuck places together where they can't escape. Yeah. And so this for me, I think was really um, just sort of thinking about why these people are stuck here, why they can't leave. And then how these relationships that are lifelong relationships that I'm sure just evolve and change and stuff like that. Um, because I, you know, I don't know many, I haven't really stayed in touch with friends from when I was a child, but can you imagine, you know, knowing someone for 30 years yeah, <laughs> and how that, how much they would get kind of stuck in your craw and in your heart and stuff like that, even if they're making terrible choices. So that was, yeah, that was all that was sort of interesting to me um, as a city gal, <laughs> not well, really having experienced that at all. I can understand because we lived in Victoria for 20 odd years and I loved Victoria. I, like you said, the city, right? And the last three years, I think, were really good because I was able to walk to work. Oh, so yeah. we were in Vic West. And, and that's where I did all my plotting of my stories, mm -hmm. you know. And I even had, like in Dealer's Child, my heroine jumps off the bridge. And I remember walking back, like, because I had to go across the bridge, get to work and going across that bridge and looking over thinking, okay, where is she going to jump? 
you know? <laughs> right? So oh, this is so relatable to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's been interesting because in the one that's going to come out now, I have you know, one of the characters trying to adjust to having left the city to as going to a small town. And it's a lot of that is what I went through, mm-hmm. you know, getting yeah. used to living here. And it's beautiful here. I mean, I, I get to see the water. It's beautiful, you know, but it's just, yeah. it, it's it's what you're you're used to, you know. And so, I'm happy to say I've made the transition, you know, like it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel connection. I think that's it. Feeling connection yeah. to this new environment. Definitely. Right? And how people relate to one another would be so different as well. Yeah. 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 So thank you for that psychology session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, of course. For, for dealing with yeah. me. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a book called the quarry girls that's out now by this writer named Jess Lurie. Um, and I haven't read it yet, but I was chatting with her at a conference that I went to in September and she was sort of talking to me a bit about, I think it's set in the seventies or the eighties. And she was talking about the sort of psychology of small towns and how, um, if something bad happened, people wouldn't talk about it. Um, they would kind of push it under the rug a little bit because that sort of upsets this whole like vision that you have for your life. Um, and that was so interesting to me because that's not something that I ever really thought about. Um, okay. But if anyone's interested in reading more about small towns, that one's pretty high up on my TBR list because, okay. yeah, I found that interesting as well. It's just sort of that idea of protecting yourself through denial. Dramatically well, really interesting. Well, I'm interested in that time period. That's mm-hmm. what, like the, especially the seventies. I'm interested in that time period because of, of something I'm, I've, I'm, I'm percolating on. <laughs> right? okay, cool. Yeah. 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 So. Amelia mm. Pomeroy. Okay. She's another character. <laughs> and I can understand what she's doing, wanting to buy the bar, seeing its potential, you know, and baby asks her, your heroine, why she doesn't like to drink. And Amelia says she doesn't like to lose control, right? Now, would you say, because of the situation baby is in, she is being forced to deal with her insecurities, her life being found in a dumpster, like she's having to deal with some pretty dark I don't want to say dark stuff but she has have she's dealing with some stuff yeah absolutely I mean I think as a writer when you're approaching this stuff you're always thinking like what is the worst thing that could happen (laughs) to this character and I think it is baby's worst nightmare in a way to have to work to for someone like Amelia um, who at least on the surface she's just like representative of everything baby is not she's traditionally beautiful she's from the city she's got it together she's in control at least appears to be in control of her destiny she's like confident and has opportunities can make kind of choices about the course of her life Um, and I think that's like everything baby doesn't have Um, she has no control at all um, I think like what, what kind of what she can control is her sort of relationships with her friends and how f- much fun she has on like a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think where baby was born and where Amelia were born, they definitely have these huge influences, I think on the outcome of their lives to that point about where they are sort of in the story when they meet each other and the kind of potential, at least they both kind of feel like they have. Um, 
But yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, even the two different income levels. I'm just thinking yeah. of what oh, yeah. baby was born. Baby was taken out of a dumpster, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Amelia, you know, she she. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> okay. So, what would you say is one of the best or greatest writing lessons? you've learned whether it's through television or writing a novel okay i have two for this oh yeah um, i got my pen ready <laughs> <laughs> the the biggest one was i watched this i think it was you know during the early stages of the pandemic when there were so many like webinars and things popping yeah. up and you can go to zoom events and things and i saw this conversation between um jenica harper who is uh one of like a friend of mine uh and just such a fantastic poet and an incredible television and screenwriter um and this writer named elon Mustai, who is a canadian screenwriter he's written some great films and uh, i think was most recently working on the show this is us mm-hmm. um and also wrote this great book i think called all it's called all of wrong today's um But he said that every, the kind of essential sort of question to ask yourself when you're thinking of a story is how is the story going to force a character to change in a way that they're resisting? Um, And that the harder they resist, the more interesting your story is. Um, I think that second part, I might've tacked that on, but that sort of question of how are they going to change really, really um, changed the course of how I sort of think about narrative. Um, Because it's so easy to get distracted by other things. But what people I think really love and what they come back to over and over again is characters. So really just focusing in on that was so instrumental for me. Yeah. Um, And then the the second piece of advice was um, something I learned in television. Um, And this is going back to the uh, honeymoon draft that you talked about. Um, And... So what I will say is that I think it is helpful to learn, at least it was for me to learn how to plot. So uh, learning structure, having a bit of an outline, um, even if it's something that you change along the way, I think is so helpful if you're starting out. And don't take this advice if you don't plan on outlining. But we call, I was told in television, and there's a writer named Diana Francis, and I think she might have been the first person to tell me about this, but it's sort of widely known. Um is that in TV, they call the first draft the vomit draft. <laughs> so it's kind of the gross, disgusting version of the honeymoon draft. Yeah. But the idea is that you have this outline because you've already, you know, submitted one um, and written one and submitted it and had a notes back and stuff like that. But that you write the draft as quickly as possible and you keep, you know, get out of your head um, so that you can really get to the root of what your character is doing, what you're trying to say, and that you get something on the page and you don't abandon it until you finish that first draft um and just to be kind of hardcore about it (laughs) because finishing i think is just finishing a draft i see it with students all the time like it's so hard and you suffer so much sometimes (laughs) throughout the process and then you get to the end and you're like oh this is so bad like like it's hard to feel good i think at the end but to kind of give yourself that hit of dopamine and and to feel good about it and so to you know enjoy the honeymoon period or to vomit it out whichever you prefer I think is really um really helpful advice well I'm doing NaNoWriMo oh yeah and uh yeah I I what I'm finding is 
it's because the third book is with the editor now. Mm-hmm. I find, you know, and here's the thing. It's, I've been working on it, working on, working on book, book three. And then I finally got it to a point where I thought, okay, now I'll give it to my editor. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Now I'll give it to her. Oh yeah. And then she's going to give it back to me and it's going to be like it, the, the track changes on that thing, you know, it's just going to be like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many, right. Yeah. <laughs> And oh uh, yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. My my Microsoft Word would like shut down during my edits <laughs> for, but then I realized it's from 2007, so it's yeah, my okay. fault. <laughs> okay, okay, it was bad. I, but, I I relate. But what I'm thinking is, I'm going to keep working on this honeymoon vomit draft, right? Mm, yeah, until I get that manuscript back. You know, um. And I'm finding I'm getting a lot of, I'm putting in a lot of dialogue now, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter. doesn't yeah. matter. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, another author mentioned on a podcast that if you, you oh, not even, a, was it, was it Hank Philippi Ryan? Oh. I watched somebody mm-hmm. said that if you, no, no, it wasn't it. Oh God. It, Eileen Cook. Okay. Eileen Cook. Cause she's the one who's the instructor with the uh, the group I'm with through the writing studio. Oh, cool. And Eileen Cook had said that if you want to increase the pace of your novel, dialogue, dialogue mm. will move it mm. through, right? Yeah. So right now what I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's dialogue that I'm working on. And yeah. uh, I, I don't want to stop with this one. Until, like you said, I've yeah. I have this rough, rough draft. Again, thank you for letting me. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> this is about like, you. It's, it's such a thing, and <laughs> right? and nano is hard too. I think nano. It's like there's a lot of pressure, yeah. and the word count for the day that they said is so like set. Is it like seventeen hundred? I I think it. I thought it was like a thousand words a day. Okay. That's more feasible to me. I yeah. think a thousand is like a good, a good thing to shoot for. Sometimes I worry about people who are really hardcore commit to nano. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't want you to like get so stressed out about it yeah. that you abandon something. Um, well, it's hard. Well, I noticed that there were times when I'd see, you know, someone would post that they cranked out 1700 words and I'm like, 500. Yeah. <laughs> much more feasible (laughs) 500 you know and they have like the write-ins four times a day and then there are just some times where I won't do a write-in but I will be doing my own writing let's say about an hour leading up to it it's just Mm -hmm. because of timing and stuff like that right specific time zone yeah Uh, so okay I'm thinking with respect to writing a sitcom and writing a novel each has its own challenges, but is there one medium that you find that's easier than the other? Yeah, I definitely agree that they have their own challenges. I think the, what sitcom for me has always been like about working with a team, which is so much fun. Um, get to like hang out all day and crack jokes and, you know, (laughs) roast your bosses and get paid for it and stuff. So that part of it is fun. Um, and there's also a smaller word count for the script. So there's like a shorter, um, 
you get to feel that satisfaction faster. So I would say it's maybe easier, but it's also, I think, hard to write comedy and write jokes that feel universal. And that is the demand of the sitcom. Um, And that a lot of people that feel at artfully specific to the story that you're telling and the characters that you're serving, but also like they could, you know, entertain a broad audience is really challenging. I think that's why there aren't more of them on the air that are really successful just because of how specific that genre is. Um, but I do just love writing. Like some yeah. people aren't, don't just love to sit at their laptop and, you know, hunch over it and yeah. <laughs> listen to music and write all day. And that is, you know, my, I, I just love it so much. Um, yeah. yeah. Good. Good. So what do you like to read? Oh man. All over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just love everything is such a bad answer i've read a lot of um um but yeah definitely more in the mystery thriller genre maybe literary um thrillers i like a lot like um the plot by gene hamp Corlitz was one of my favorite reads of last year and there's a book called saint x by alexis shaitkin that i love, love a lot um I'm currently rereading you by carolyn kepnes which is like a voice driven um thriller um and i'm also reading blood atonement by sm friedman who you had on recently and uh just adore her she's so cool yeah so i'm really enjoying that it's very it's darker than my usual fare but uh she just serves the character so well and i found um after the prologue with that just build the build the build the build of hope the hope or when the heroine and the, the children escape and then the turn when you realize, oh, it's 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 not all rainbows yeah. and sunshine. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. dark, but it is dark subject matter. So I think she's serving the kind of truth behind it really well. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of in just reading it. So I can't uh, wait to find out I, what happens. I remember asking her. How did you come up for air? <laughs> right. Well, you know, like you yeah. you submerge yourself in this mm. world, right? Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Okay. But worth it. <laughs> so what's next? Oh gosh. Um, uh, I'm feeling a little coy. I I I think I'm going on submission, hopefully. I'm still working on rewrites of a new sort of literary thriller um in 2023, I hope. Excellent. Um but I don't want to say because it's been really hard to write this after you publish, it gets in your head a little bit and just trying to get it out of your head, um, get the reviews out and the edits and marketing things like get those thoughts out. It's kind of difficult. So I did a bad rewrite in the fall uh, that I need to go back to and sort of fix. So I'm hoping to get hardcore with that over um, the next month or so and then send it back to my agent. Um, and then I, I'm my next project hopefully is going to be another sort of upmarkety mystery thriller set in the world of yachting. Oh, yeah. Which is I just watch a lot of reality TV and like YouTube videos about it. So yeah. I don't know. I think uh, it's intimidating to write about because I, oh gosh, like never been on a sailboat. But yeah. Um, yeah. And then hopefully more TV, but nothing I can say currently. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. That's good. Um, it's interesting what you said after. I found after the unraveling came out and then working on dealer's child with the second one and uh, yeah, things kind of get in your head where it's Mm -hmm. just like, okay, is this, it's more 
what I inflicted on myself. Like, is this going to be as good as, or mm-hmm. is this, or people are going to like it or, yeah. you know, and. Um, is it the right thing to publish next? Is it the right idea? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if it's mine. Mine is very different. Was your second one very different from your first one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I took to heart uh, Deborah Purdy Kong. She will be coming back on the podcast in the new year. And what she said to, in one interview, like it, it was, <laughs> she had so much experience and I just wanted her to keep talking because she was making me feel so good. <laughs> you know, like you, oh. like you're easy to talk to, right? Oh, good. And she had said, you have to look at it with each book that you produced, you wrote the best book possible. I'm just paraphrasing here. It was like Mm -hmm. that you've written the best book possible at that point in time in your life, you know? And I thought, yeah, you know, so yeah. And have faith in yourself that like what brought you to this point yeah. there's something there obviously yeah um so yeah. to have faith in that yeah it's yeah. just got to shake your head and get the noise out get yeah. out in the morning or something that's it yeah. yeah that's it mm-hmm. meredith this has been excellent oh, oh, this has been so, so much, much fun yeah, I've, I've, I've look at my page i've scrolled oh. everywhere <laughs> i love that yeah yeah this yeah. is so lovely well Keep me posted on what's happening in your life or next books coming out because I'd love to have you back on here. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Good. Okay, Meredith. See you later. <laughs>